Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Thanks Zuckets Friday, the IT news podcast from Computing. Once again, I'm Stuart Sumner and I'm delighted to be joined by the regular hosts, uh, co-hosts even, John Leonard and Tom Allen. Uh, gentlemen, what have you been up to this week? Anything exciting? Um, yeah, actually, I, I had a, um, a cultural exchange. Um, so as with most of us, I'm not getting out very much at the moment. Um, so That's I was quite, quite normal excited. Though, isn't it? It is fairly normal, it's yeah. Not, it's not a pandemic thing, it's um, just a lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather you kept that to yourself. Sorry. It's a bit late now. Um, so I was quite excited to have an excuse uh, to drive five miles into South London uh, when my son was getting a, a medical. Um, anyway, this boy racer in a Mercedes beeped me because he felt I was going a bit too slow away from the lights. Um, so I saluted him with the traditional oh, hand God. gesture. And a little bit later on, he came roaring past me and returned the hand gesture. So I had a nice little cultural exchange. Uh, that's very, that's, that's lovely. So he, he, I, it, it didn't go further than that, that you didn't end up in prison or hospital or both? Um, I was thinking about that. So I, I decided <laughs> not to not to pursue the cultural exchange. Anymore. See, that, that is something that I really noticed when I moved to London is that people use their horns a lot more than I was used to in the past, having come from quiet rural Oxfordshire. Yeah, uh, if, yeah if, that's if you, right. if you don't get away from lights like a Formula One driver, then... Uh, the horn just seems to be connected to the accelerator. Yeah, I think in some, in some instances it is. I had a similar cultural exchange, John, uh, a few years ago where I actually learnt my lesson, where I, I, I made a, um, uh, a hand gesture to someone who was driving like an absolute lunatic behind me. But the thing is about people who drive like absolute lunatics often are absolute lunatics, so you shouldn't yeah. provoke them. But I, I think there's quite a strong correlation. Yeah, I, I learnt my lesson there because he was a big guy and he chased me through through the streets of London for several miles and every single time I, I got caught by traffic lights, he would get out of his car, kick my car in an effort to get in at me. Fortunately, I had one of those little buttons next to me where I could click the button and all the doors would which probably saved my life uh, and yeah it wasn't um anyway i, I learned a, a certain lesson that day was it you need like... a little button that um that makes fire shoot out of the back of your car you know? yeah like like in robocop um yeah, if, yeah when they sell that they'll be the first in line mm. was it like a, a clown car moment where he sort of just unfolded himself from a comically small car Unfortunately, no. There was. I didn't find anything comical about it at all. I found it mostly terrifying, uh, and I imagined his. He just, yeah, his large fist uh, going through my head. Um, anyway, none of that happened, um, so it's all fine. I learned a valuable lesson. Um, any anything exciting happening in your week, Tom? Uh, yes, I got my coronavirus vaccine. Oh, you did? Yeah, that's that's, that's fantastic. Yes, and I feel absolutely fine, which is nice. Uh, my girlfriend's mum, when she had it. Um, came down with horrible flu-like symptoms for a couple of days but i have fought them off and all i have is a slight tenderness on the exact injection site uh and only if i press it like this which yeah. you can't well you can I've see audio that doesn't can't. that doesn't translate but uh but we'll, we'll take your word for it um that's great it's fantastic that they're um doing so well with the rollout and it's making its way through the population um so yes, well yeah. And also, obviously, you know, bringing us closer towards an easing of restrictions, um, which is, I mean, nothing much has happened in my week apart from generally uh, just finding homeschooling to be uh, an absolute chore. Um, and uh, I mean, most of my wife does most of it. I just occasionally toddle downstairs to read the, read the riot act um, and uh, increasingly ineffectually. Um, I'm not but, entirely sure how you managed to wangle that one. Like, how did you convince your wife to take on the majority of the homeschooling? Mostly because I'm working full time and she's not. And I think that's really uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's really all it is. But uh, yeah, I'm really sick of homeschooling. And uh, the fact that the government's now announcing uh, imminent easing of restrictions is very exciting. And you just really hope those numbers keep tracking in the right direction. So we all get to maybe uh, leave the house uh, sometime soon, maybe even start doing face to face events then uh, rather than the uh, virtual ones. All these things look possible at the moment. Um, fingers crossed that we continue um, on this trajectory. 
Uh, well, that's probably, that's probably quite enough um, about us. Let's move on to the news. And excitingly, I'm going to go first this week. Um, so uh, the story I'd like to highlight um, is uh, the Facebook Australia story uh, that's been boiling uh, over for the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, it's come to something of a head recently because Australia's parliament um, has now passed a landmark legislation that will make it compulsory for tech giants like Facebook, but also Google, um, to pay local media companies for the news content. So one of the many ways in which the publishing industry has been disrupted um, over the last decade or so is the fact the content is read off the sites that computing and, uh, and, and other publishers um, uh, uh, produce um, and makes its way onto Google and Facebook and, and, and other sites where they get the click and we don't. So uh, it's a bit like those com tech companies um, eating publishers lunch. So in Australia that won't happen anymore. So um, they've made um, amendments to the so-called uh, news media bargaining code um, and uh, basically it makes Australia the first country in the world um, where a government arbitrator can decide, can decide the price that digital giants will need to pay to local publishers um, in case their sort of private arrangements they make between themselves fail. But it basically means that um, media businesses are fairly paid for the content they generate, um, which helps to um, sustain journalism and uh, I believe is a very good thing. I wonder if other, other countries are going to follow suit. Do we know that yet? Uh, well, I think, Tom, you were saying um, India has actually just, just followed, just, just done the same thing. Is that right? Yeah, off mic, literally announced today, um, Thursday. Uh, India has also bringing in some rules to regulate social media firms. So, and I, I believe Canada, I might be wrong on that, but I think Canada is, is also giving the nod in the same direction. So it certainly seems to be spreading. Yeah, and I think it's it's hugely likely that other, it's been a sort of a, a kind of a global conversation for a long time now. The fact that these um, it's, it's a little bit unfair that the content generators, the content providers, the people paying for the content and, and producing it aren't uh, actually getting the benefit of lots of it because that passes to people like Facebook, Google, um, and others. Has to be said, um, Microsoft interestingly have been quite behind this move, um, and uh, you know whether that's because they seriously believe in journalism or whether it's because they seriously believe in undermining Facebook and Google, some of their competitors. Um, that's uh, uh, you could argue either way for that one. Um, but certainly lots of other countries have been looking at uh, or making sort of noises off stage um, about vaguely similar deals. You would expect this to start to um, uh, sort of um, pass by, by osmosis through to um, other countries around the world. I certainly hope the UK does um, something similar. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's broadly a very good thing. And well done Australia for sticking to their um, to their guns. There was a bit of, you know, this story's been boiling over, as I said, there's been a bit of um, toing and froing, um, Facebook uh, sort of initially refusing um, and saying that it was going to block all news websites on its platform in Australia, um, which en ended up inadvertently blocking uh, government information pages, health pages, emergency welfare pages at the same time. Um, so it's good that they've managed to navigate their way through those sorts of um, issues. But uh, but yeah, I think this it, it's, as I said, a landmark case and hopefully other countries will follow. Yeah, it, it's probably not what I would have expected uh, governments to target first when it comes to social media regulation, but it's a welcome start. Yeah, yeah, certainly it's something that, that I think um, needed to happen. And, you know, as I said, well done Australia for um, sticking to its guns with that one. And it's, it's kind of, a, it's an interesting world where you look at a government and, and look at a major tech giant and you expect the tech giant to win. So that's just a surprise. The little guy in this case is a national government. Um, uh, so it's, it's interesting that um, that's the way it's gone. But however, they have, you know, reached, uh, reached an agreement, which is um, going to be a good thing. Yeah, there's still that ongoing conversation about whether social media companies are publishers isn't there? Because if they regulate content, uh, as Twitter did, for example, why by by banning Donald Trump, um, if they regulate content, then they're a publisher. They're subject to different laws than they are if they 
they're just a, a sort of host of content. So that's still a conversation that, that is ongoing globally. It's a, it's a tricky one. If you look at exact, um, you know, UK legal definitions, then they are a publisher. I mean, if, if, if one of us says something on stage at one of our events, we're publishing that, you know, because there are people there listening. Um, and if, if you republish something that's gone elsewhere, you're still publishing it. So by a strict legal definition, it is publishing, but it's a very thorny issue. And there's lots and lots of ins and outs of it. And it's effectively, you're inviting me to jump into a rabbit hole there, which uh, I'm going to skillfully step over <laughs> for, for this one um, uh, on grounds of, uh, of time, if nothing else. Um, I think that's probably enough on that one, though. Um, John, should we move on to your story? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to talk about Python, the programming language Python, which is 30 years old this month. Um, and in Py Python 3.10, which is due for release in October, there's going to be a new feature added called pattern matching. And you'd have thought that a new feature designed to make it easier to write logic without big long strings of ifs and else and elifs will be welcomed by everybody, but <clears throat> that's not so. Um, teachers in particular have been up in arms about this development, fearing it's going to make the language more complex. Um, why is that? Why is that an issue? Why can't they just? Why can't they just teach a more basic version of it? I mean, Python is one of those languages that's taught to to kids doing early computer science. Why can't they just teach a sort of basic version? Teach the basics. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I thought the same thing, um, and I spoke to a guy called uh, Pablo Galindo, who in December joined the five person um, steering committee steering council sorry for for python and he told me it's not as easy it's not as simple as that um so for example if you walk into a wall at 5 mph i don't recommend you do this by the way but it, it'll hurt you a bit and you may do yourself a bit of damage but you'll basically be okay but if you double your speed so you run into a wall at 10 mph um you won't do twice the amount of damage you do four times the amount of damage because um the energy is proportional to the velocity squared and Pablo said it's the same sort of thing with Python. It, everything that you add kind of doubles up because everything's connected. Um, and it has an exponential knock-on effect. So, But isn't, isn't that the same with just any programming language? It is, yes. Um, but the thing with Python is it's popular with both teachers, as um, Stuart said, you know, so teaching kids because the, the syntax is really simple, but also with really big companies like um, Instagram and particular these days data scientists and data and AI engineers, which is one of their big markets. So they're trying to have they're having to please all these different groups of users. Um, and what's good for one group isn't good for another. So they're having to sort of balance this very, very carefully. Um, and in fact, the creator of Python 30 years ago, a guy called Guido Van Rossum, um, gave himself the rather excellent job title of um, um, benevolent dictator for life. Um, but because of all the sort of hassle, you know, he kept getting, getting it in the neck every time he suggests changes, he actually stepped down a couple of years ago. So Python is now effectively a democracy and it has this, this steering council. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it kind of shows the the, the um, drawbacks of having something anything designed by committee, um, rather than having someone like Linus Torvalds at the top deciding what's um, what's done with Linux. You got you know, whenever you introduce a committee, then you start to get these sorts of um, these sorts of issues. But yeah. are, are they are they definitely are they definitely adding the pattern matching, or is this is is this going to uh, make it make the whole thing uh, go away again? Oh no, it, um, this is this is definitely going ahead because a lot of the the, the big companies and people are, are asking for it, you know, and the teachers are just maybe. We'll have to learn to um, work with the 
with whatever knock-on effects there are there, which hopefully won't be too much. Um, and yes, the thing about committees, when the committee was formed, apparently lots of, um, there was lots of grumbling about, you know, oh, it's, you know, you know what happens when things are designed by, by committee. But pattern matching was actually suggested years ago by Guido Van Rossum himself, but it's taken up to now to get the full approval, um, which sort of shows how kind of fraught the, the, the whole thing is. You mentioned uh, committees there, and obviously, the more people involved, the more, well, the longer it takes, but also the more ideas you have. So is there anything else happening in, in the Python space? Yeah, well, this um, committee said is made of all sorts of different people. So hopefully they'll get a good wide, wide range of opinions um, reflected within that structure. Um, and what he told me is at the moment, it's really all about making Python scale better. So companies like Pinterest and Instagram are all based on Python. But when it gets really big to that scale, you know, it all gets quite complex and and difficult. Um, so that's the one thing. And with this, um, with this introduction of pattern matching, they're hoping to make it scale better. And that should also make it possible to bring Python to the browser, where it really isn't at the moment, and also to mobile, which will mean probably a few more changes. Um, but I guess he's not afraid of a, of a, of a fight anyway, because he was saying, just bring it on. Interesting. Uh, well, my main takeaway from that is uh, basically walk into a wall, don't run. That's, uh, yeah, that's I think that's the advice we should all draw from that one. Yeah, I bet our audience didn't expect to get a math lesson about velocity uh, of velocity squared today. Yeah, it was interesting. I just didn't that's know where free. it was going, but <laughs> I think it made sense. Uh, Tom, Tom, what have you got for us? Uh, well, it's a relatively small story in itself, but it's got potentially industry-wide consequences. So there are reports that Amazon's offering its workers in Alabama or at one particular part in Alabama, uh, what it's calling resignation bonuses to quit before an upcoming vote to determine whether workers should unionize. And obviously if they accept, they wouldn't be able to vote. Can I just say, I'm pretty sure they would say, they would call it Alabama, not Alabama. Anyway. Yes, but I'm British. Actually, well, fair enough. <laughs> and from the South. Yes. Uh, they also called Debenhams Debenhams. So, you know. And Luger Brugger instead of Loughborough. So yeah, who knows yeah. what's going on there. <laughs> And so Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. Anyways, I feel we've derailed anyway, you a bit <laughs> there, Tom. Sorry. Enough of the casual racism. <laughs> yeah. um, so as well as those bonuses, uh, Amazon's taken other steps as well. It's said to have sent out text messages. It's asked employees to attend anti-union meetings. And it's calling for in-person voting in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, allegedly, some workers who accept the bonus have also been told they could be rehired after the vote. Um, I think I can guess the answer to this, but why are Amazons quite so anti-union? <laughs> uh, it's not just Amazon. It's, it's an industry problem. It's big tech in general. So you've got companies like Google and Amazon, Intel, et cetera, et cetera, for a, a long, long time, 40 years or more, they have insisted they need this absolute freedom to operate in the way that they want. They're very libertarian in that sort of sense. Uh, that means uh, supporting hire and fire for example, and paying workers with stock options instead of salaries and bonuses, that kind of thing. Uh, they claim that it also benefits workers because it gives them the freedom to switch jobs very quickly. And that's true to an extent for technical roles like programmers and developers. But it's not the case for everyone, especially in roles like warehouse workers and, and cleaners and caretakers, those non-technical roles that well, you, you can't switch so quickly. Yes, there, there might always be a demand for a cleaner, but there are not so many jobs. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a very thin argument that one, and it always benefits the company more to have that Absolutely. sort of, you know, we can get rid of you at a, at a moment's notice. But hey, you can get another job at a moment's notice. Yeah, but it's a lot easier for you to hire another cleaner than, than it is for that cleaner to go out and find another yeah. another job. That definitely plays into the um, the tech giant's hands. Have they yeah, tried absolutely. to? Um, is, is this the? I mean, it, 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 I'm sure this isn't the first time that people have tried to. That they've tried to band together. These workers have tried to band together and and uh, and, and unionize. Yeah, no, far from it. Uh, but it's always been squashed to an extent. Uh, there have been some other minor unions in the past, but basically, if you try to unionize, big tech will crush you. Um, a lot of the non-technical roles I mentioned are subcontracted, for example. And if there's a threat of unionization at a contractor, then the contractor just gets dropped. Uh, and of course, Amazon and Google have a lot of buying power. So this is Amazon's first union drive in a long, long time. But in January, there was a group of employees at Google and regular computing readers will probably remember us covering this. Uh, they formed the Alphabet Workers Union. So their goals are basically what you'd expect, like fair working conditions and freedom from discrimination, things like that. Um, they also want the freedom to turn down projects that don't align with their values. So if you remember a few years ago, there was a big outcry amongst employees at Google's work with the US military. So unionization could threaten that and it could threaten profits. I think also with um, with the China thing, wasn't there? They were doing that project Dragonfly, a, a yeah. special search engine for, for China that a lot of people objected to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that. Um, these these workers want the freedom to say, no, I don't think that aligns with our core values. And you remember uh, Google's one of Google's founding principles was don't be evil, which was quietly struck off a couple of years ago. Uh, it vanished yeah, from there. That was, always, that was always a marketing slogan. I mean, it may well have been an, an, uh, an early ideal, but it was very rapidly yeah. put onto very much a back, so uh, a back burner. I'm going to show my, show my, uh, my socialist side for a moment, and I'll just point out that they're private companies and they're always out for profit, and they want to maximize their profit, understandably, because they are for-profit companies. Um, so this Alphabet Union is still small. It could be the start of something much bigger, as could the, uh, the Amazon union um and if it is big tech's gonna have to get used to balancing ethics against profit yeah I, I, and obviously you know any organization exists to um to turn a profit and that's fine that's what that's what companies that's the purpose of companies that's that's fine it's you, you've just got to have the right regulatory framework around it to make sure that it's incentivized to to do the right things um and, yeah, and uh, taking advantage of workers yeah, I mean, if you look at, for, for instance, I mean, this is a bit of a, um, it's not an exact allegory at all, but if you look at um, the recent decision to, to, call, to, to declare Uber workers as employees, not self-employed, um, that's a way for, you know, a government to step in and say, well, you know, um, this is the this is the right situation, you have to work in this way. Obviously, um, if, if Uber can get away with um, not paying any benefits and calling people self-employed, then it will do because it's, it's a company and that's what companies do. But that's it's appropriate for government to step in and say, well, this is how to treat people fairly. So mm. this is just another instance of that. And hopefully that, the, you know the trend we're seeing uh, with uber will uh, will continue and other people will have to be treated fairly as well but um yeah i have some very strong opinions on the uber uh case but i'm not going to be getting uh, drawn into it right now <laughs> it's another rabbit hole it's also quite interesting it, it, it should start in alabama isn't it you know sort of in the south of the u.s well maybe mm. it's interesting Al it's alabama. in the u.s uh, i think we agree john sorry oh, well, oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever so why why there anyway let's just let's just call it there yeah, you know, I used to call it Arkansas until an American corrected me and said it was Arkansas, but I don't know if it's even written down. Uh, why there? It's, it's a really good question. Um, apparently, Amazon offers this uh, this sort of 
will pay you to quit bonus. They call it the offer. Uh, capitals, of course. Um, they offer this uh, this this offer to people every February. Not entirely sure why, but they do. Uh, and this just seems to be. I don't exactly want to call it a coincidence, but it's uh, a very um, advantageous to Amazon that the fact that February happens to line up with a union vote and that it could be offered to employees uh, uh, at the plant then. Um, of course, under federal law uh, in the USA, um, companies are banned from making material improvements to worker situations around the time of a union vote, and this could count as that. Um, so that could open Amazon up to a certain legal action as well. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Um, well, that's, there's going to be more to this story, I'm sure. So it's, uh, stay tuned to computing.co.uk to find out more. But I think that's um, all we have time for on that one. There's uh, several rabbit warrens we could have um, leapt down uh, during the course of this podcast, but I think we've skillfully um, avoided them all. Uh, but uh, yeah, apart, apart from that, thanks very much, John and Tom, as ever for your insights. And we'll see you all again next week for more. Except we won't see you, but you'll hear us. Thank you for the clarification. Mm -hmm.